Welcome to Reforesting Faith, our weekly Bible study on trees and scripture. I hope that you enjoy this episode, and if you would like to receive a copy in advance of the transcript for the class, please email me at pastorhedrick at glcpa.org. It's good to have you with us. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about how I got to this topic. So whenever I'm out in the woods, some of you know I like to hike, but whenever I'm out in the woods, to me, being out in the woods is like a sanctuary. You ever have that feeling where you're out and the trees are really tall and you can sort of see the sunlight up there? And to me, that always feels like a sanctuary. It's one of the reasons why I like hiking. And so over time, especially this past year, I started doing a lot of reading about woodlands and about trees. So I've got some books that I have collected. Um, Your Guide to Forest Bathing, which is basically if you want to go out and commune with nature, but it's a, a chance to be more in nature as opposed to simply trying to get from point A to point B on a walk. I have Trees, A Celebration, which are little essays about trees. If anyone ever wants to borrow any of these, let me know. I have a book of poetry called Wing Over Wing, which is about birds, but it's also about trees and nature. I have Letters to the Earth, which is a series of essays that have to do with people writing about where we are in the world with the condition of the planet and the things that people are finding meaningful, the things that people are worried about or hopeful about when it comes to the condition of our planet. And the last one is a book called Embracing the Seasons, Memories of a Country Garden, which is about more than trees. But each of these little essays includes a prayer and trying to invite silence for contemplating something in creation. So I had been working with these books and loving them. And then I listened to a podcast episode with Krista Tippett. I don't know if you all know who she is. She has a podcast called On Being. And she interviewed a woman named Suzanne Seemert. Her work is in forestry. And her particular interest in forest management was in fungi. You know, the, the little fungi that grow on trees and between trees. And she started her career in forestry management and wondered why it seemed like the big tree stands that people are planting commercially did not seem to thrive as well when they adopted the single species theory, which is that everything else except this tree that we're growing is a pest and needs to go away. And so she started doing her research and she discovered that um, trees actually communicate with each other. And one of the ways they do that is through their roots. But another way that trees communicate and what bridges the tree roots from one tree to the next is these little strands of different kinds of fungi, mycelium. And the fungi carry nutrients, they carry information about pests, and allow trees elsewhere within a network of trees to respond. Because, of course, trees don't have capacities that we do as humans, but there is a lot that is communicated through the network of trees and fungi. And she wrote a book called Finding the Mother Tree, which was that in each group of trees, there is one tree that's like the elder tree. It's the tree that is sharing the most information because it's been around the longest. 
And I was fascinated by that because the mother tree is what allows for resiliency in a forest. And it made me start to think about the mother tree and the tree in the Garden of Eden, right? The tree that is the tree of life and the tree that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which are various, of course, are scriptural concepts. They're not forestry concepts. So I started thinking about that because with trees living side by side over all of these years and all of the things that have happened in terms of them evolving, trees have managed to navigate a lot of changes and it depends upon these mother trees. So one of the people who has been coming to Grace recently uh, is a forestry and wildlife management professor at Penn State. And I was talking to him about Suzanne Seamard's work. And he said, well, be careful that you don't fall into anthropomorphism, right? Which is making trees human, right? So I don't want you to think that I'm trying to suggest that when we talk about the ways that information is shared across species and across creatures. But at the same time, he said, but you know, oak trees have roots that when they extend out, the tips of the different trees, actually it's like holding hands. And they build this network where the roots essentially, to use a human term, they, they hold hands. And it binds that network of trees together. So that was really something that I found fascinating. So then I decided to start thinking about trees more scripturally. And I found a book called Reforesting Faith by a man named Matthew Sleeve, who's done a lot of work both scientifically and also scripturally. And he had gotten fascinated by how many different kinds of trees are there in scripture and what are the stories that trees tell. And before we get into that, um, the, the premise of his book is that from the very first book of scripture, Genesis, all the way to Revelation, and through many of the major stories of God and God's people, there is a tree involved. In scripture, a tree or a shrub or a stump, something connected to trees is involved. Good evening. So I was just giving some background and I was just saying, this by the way, is Calvin, Calvin is the person who said, be careful about being anthropomorphic when you talk about trees, which I found to be a really helpful corrective. I was just explaining that that, that was really, really helpful. So in Matthew Sleeth's book, he pointed out that in every passage, almost every passage where God is doing a major thing in scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's a tree that shows up. And so before we get into the first couple to talk about, I wanted to give you all a moment to think about and maybe name the passages or the phrases that come to mind in scripture that you can think of that evoke trees. I've already talked about the tree of life, so you can't take that one. <laughs> fig tree comes to mind. The fig tree. Now, the fig tree shows up a couple oh, times, yeah. right? Anybody else? Um, I don't know what kind of tree it was, but one of the apostles was, before he got called, was standing under a tree, and Jesus said, like, I, I saw you under the tree. I don't know what the tree was. But that was also a fig tree. Like a fig tree? Yes, the fig tree, by the way, shows up more than one time, and we'll talk about fig trees because they have some interesting stories to tell. Yes. Dogwood. The dogwood. Mm -hmm. Sycamore. 
sycamore. Mm -hmm. The cedars or the cypress of Lebanon? The cedars of Lebanon, right? There's the mustard tree. There's the mustard tree, that's right. Was it a tree or a vine that shaded Jonah and then died? That was a vine. Yes. In Dendrology, we got those. Wayne vines, we got those. Okay. That's why I'm glad you're here. Can I count the rose share? They're bushes, though, aren't they? It's a shrub, but the one we have on our farm was bigger than I was. Okay, let me come back to the vine that Elijah was under, right? Jonah. Right, sorry. Yep, wrong prophet. Anybody else? Anytime they talk about building anything, they talk about building the court. Right, right. Yeah. Because frankly, that that was before we get to stone masonry. Right. Wood was what we need, right? How about the cross? That was a tree. Once that was dogwood, wasn't it? No. What kind? I thought it was dogwood. Could be. Yeah. Well, no, though. That's true. But that, that's the legend that the Bible doesn't grow straight anymore because it didn't want it to be turned into a crop. There's another one in the Scandinavia. Well, that's right, which is, sorry, which is, but the dogwood doesn't go straight, grow straight because it doesn't want to be turned into a cross. <clears throat> but the dogwood does have that imagery, Dennis, that the, the, yeah, the edges of the petals on the dogwood look like the, the scars from the nails, right? Yeah. And the center of the dogwood. Um, looks like the crown of thorns to some people. Hey, Chuck. Hey, sorry. So, I'm sorry, uh, Calvin, you started to say something. Oh, I was going to say there's a Scandinavian thing like that, which is that uh, Aspen's always waiting because uh, Christ was running. Obviously, it doesn't work as Aspen's live. They're not native there. Right, right. So, and, and interestingly enough, next week we're going to talk about um, the tree, the wood that was used to build the ark. And I don't want to ruin that, because depending on your translation, it's one of like five different kinds of trees. So we'll save that for next week. Is that Noah's Ark or the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, no, Noah's Ark. The Ark yeah. of the Covenant was wood too, wasn't it? Yes. Acacia. Yes. Ooh. Painted with gold. Did you want to give the dimensions? <laughs> no, I don't think I remember. <laughs> right. But the, there's more than one Ark. And, and that's one of the other things to keep in mind. As we're talking about trees over these next weeks, that a particular tree will often show up more than once in scripture. And sometimes that doubling has a very specific meaning. There's reasons why it's showing up that way. So we want to keep that in mind as we're going forward. We were just talking, Chuck, about uh, trees that we can think of in scripture. If you had any like in mind, yep. Anybody say Zacchaeus? I think that was a sycamore tree. Oh, I think that is a sycamore tree. Mm -hmm. yes. Right. Any other trees that we want to throw out real quickly? Olive trees. Olive trees? Mm -hmm. Yes. And they show up a couple different places as well. What about the palm from Palm Sunday? Oh, yeah. That's a grass. It's a tree. <laughs> the palm? Grass. Yeah, it's a grass. But it came out of a tree. Isn't it? No, palms are grasses. Well, okay. Even big palm trees are grasses. It's a grass. Oh. <laughs> See, now I learned something. Cool. Because we call it a palm tree. Right. And it's not a tree. By the way, these are the forestry people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, they're the forestry people. And I'm really glad that they're here because 
it, it points up something in language, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is that sometimes we call something a thing when it's not actually that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, including, and we'll hear about this when we talk about Noah's Ark next week, there is even a thought that, that Noah's Ark isn't made out of a tree at all. It's made out of reeds. Depending on which scripture or translation uh, from the Hebrew you're listening to, it, who would want to try to survive a flood in something made out of reeds? And yet, and of course, that's not a trick, right? Especially Well, right. But then Moses was in the reed basket. So that's a whole other thing. Well, now that we've named some trees, I'm going to ask, if you don't already know, where do trees first appear in scripture? The very first time we hear about trees is where? Genesis. That's right. So if you want, if you have a Bible or if you want to look along in Genesis 1 and 2 are the the two creation stories. In Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, we're going to find trees. And so if someone can look at those and see where, what verse you first see trees. Probably the creation story, the tree. It is. Mm-hmm. Verse 11 in chapter 1. There are, of course, two creation stories in Genesis. We hear the same, we hear creation from two perspectives in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. And if you're looking in Genesis 1 and 2, what you will see is a couple of different things. Scientifically and scripturally, trees are created by God before animals. And the reason why I say it's not just about what scripture tells us the order is, but it's also scientific, it's because of the things that trees will provide. Trees provide oxygen, right? The process of photosynthesis is necessary for us to breathe. That's the way God created it. So the trees have to be there first because we can't breathe without trees. That's what God designed. Well, trees or or other plants. Well, that's true. Not just trees. This is true. But specifically in scripture, the the largest source of that that lung that we experience is going to be from trees, right? And there's also trees are going to give fruit. They're going to give nuts. They're going to give leaves that get used for different purposes. And human beings' first task in Genesis is essentially to tend the garden, right? Well, part of tending the garden means taking care of the trees. So from the very beginning, we're told that trees are important to the order of creation. They are a part of our task in tending the garden, in tending God's creation. And we hear that trees are pleasing to sight, to the sight. And what we'll see throughout scripture is that trees are going to bridge the generations. As we look at scripture, we realize we're being connected between the past, the present, and into the future. Trees are going to be a part of that story. They have been and they are in our lives as well. It's part of why tending the trees in our world now continues to be not only scientifically important, it's scripturally important that we care for trees. I do just want to show uh, you guys if you get a chance to, and and Cindy and Tyler, I apologize, I didn't set up screen sharing, so I will see that you get my picture later. There's a picture of the inside of our lungs on the back of 
the page there. You see the black and white picture right there? Do you notice what the inside of our lungs look like? They look like trees. It's pretty cool when you think about it. There's that mirror of what we see as trees and what we talk about and that the trees are necessary for us to breathe and that right there in our lungs is something that looks exactly to some degree like trees. So there's a lot of really important things about the imagery of all of that as we start to talk about creation. So there are two trees that are in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And what are the two trees that Genesis tells us are there? A life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, yeah. And the tree of life stands for the life that God's created, that God declared good. It's a tree that's beautiful, that evokes all of God's concepts of, of creation and our interdependence of justice and truth and love and light and righteousness. And in the garden, the creation story tells us that Adam and Eve ate freely from what was in the garden and they ate from the tree of life. It can be said that this is a way of taking hold of the concept of everlasting life, right? The tree of life is about we're going to live abundantly and well. The other image of this tree that shows up in scripture is in the book of Revelation, the whole other end of scripture. All the way at the end of scripture, the tree of life is in the city of God. And when God has redeemed all of creation, the tree of life is in the city of God and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. So from the very beginning of scripture, when everything is set up that is intended to be life-giving, all the way to the end when God's redemption is at its fullness, the tree is the image that God is using to talk about our life within creation. And that part about the leaves being for the healing of the nations is in essence the restoration of everything that from when creation began, and we've all put our hands all over it in good ways and not so good ways, that in the end, God's going to restore all of creation. And that imagery is not just abstract. It's part of why it's so important that we don't see the world that we live in as only having a use for the time that we live on it. Because God's not intending to rapture us away from all of this. God is intending to bring heaven to earth and restore all of creation. So if that's important to God, it should be pretty important to us, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. The other tree, of course, is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that when the first humans in the creation story decide, well, you know, I want to go ahead and, and check that tree out too. It opens the door to a lot of things metaphorically, to pride and to control and to cruelty and a lot of the ways that we have come to treat each other. It, is what we call the fall. It evokes those images about sin and its place in the world. The knowledge of good and evil also recognizes that, that life becomes finite. Now we're talking life and death, right? I hesitate to talk about Eve and eating from the tree only because a lot of people have used that to be that, that women are the downfall of all creation. And that's not where I'm going right now. That would be pretty silly, especially for me. 
a beating off. But there are different things about the tree that appeal to Eve when she sees the tree that the serpent's telling her, go ahead. It is appealing to her eye, right? It's visually pleasing. It's appealing to her palate. Apparently tastes good. But it's also appealing to her ego. I don't know. I'm going to ask the question. If you were in that place, would you have eaten from the tree? Is there anybody here who says, oh, no, no, I wouldn't. I would totally skip that because God said no. I wonder, right? Most of us can succumb to some kind of temptation, even if it's only promising one of the three cravings that, that Eve could get from the tree and Adam, right? Pleasing to your eye, pleasing to your palate, pleasing to your ego. Really, ultimately, only takes about one of those. And maybe that's just me, but chocolate will do that for me. Very <laughs> pleasing to her ego. I guess I don't understand that connection. Well, if you are told that this is something that you should not do, and then someone else comes along and says, well, I don't know why you think that. That's not going to happen. Go ahead. Right? It doesn't make somebody egotistical, but, but our ego is what's involved psychologically with, you know what? I'm going to decide not to honor that boundary. I'm going to do this other thing instead because what's the worst thing that's going to happen or because I want to, or maybe I think I know better. All things that maybe at least once in our lives we've said, maybe more than once today. Yes, Bill. God's command was do not eat the fruit from that tree. That's right. So Adam and Eve could have chopped off some branches to make firewood. That's right. Without <laughs> violating his. That's commandment. right. But they didn't, right? Or at least we don't know about it, mm -hmm. right? And of course, the story ultimately is not necessarily literal. It's intended to, to tell us this creation story, but, but it speaks those truths, right? Mm -hmm. If we were told that we could do five things perfectly easily, just don't do number six. Well, raising children, I know that the most appealing choice is always going to be number six, right? Where I want to sort of think about with that is to talk about our own patterns of consumption. Because we all consume a lot of things, right? I just moved and I realized I've been consuming way too many things because I had way too many things to have to put in boxes. And I still have too many things and we've downsized. And I'm wondering why I have all these things. And some of them are sentimental attachments, but others of them, I really don't know why we have them. I have a box full of VHS tapes that I can't imagine why we will ever watch them or have the capacity to. And while one of them is from our wedding, there are others, we don't have any idea what they are. <laughs> like, we don't even know we're growing away. <laughs> but if we consume the way that we want, then we cease to think first about the most vital relationships. And that's really a part of what's happening in Genesis. And it's part of what I think to some degree is the connection between looking at our modern day forests and the story of the creation story. If we consume what we want and the way we want, there are two relationships that we're not thinking about if I'm just thinking about what I want. What are the two relationships that we're not thinking about? Who gave us the trees? What God wants. Right, our creator, right? 
That's right. The web of all creation. You know, not, not even just, of course, humans, but of all creation. God created us interdependent. We're created in an entire arrangement of creation. And if we, when we allow ourselves to focus on consuming what we want and the way we want and when we want, we're also not thinking about the rest of the web of creation. And I'm not trying to tell you that I get that right and I'm just telling the rest of you that you're not getting it right. We all do that. If we consume a part of the tree, we're lessening what's there for everybody else. Although trees, of course, regenerate, but speaking metaphorically, if we take part of something in a way that it won't grow back, now it's not there for anybody. And that's part of what Suzanne Seymour's work was about, was focusing on scientifically, if you, if you take all of the other species and say they're getting in the way of these birch trees that I'm trying to grow, what happens is you've also taken out of the equation all of the things that will help minimize pests, all of the things that have other nutrients to share. And when trees and other species of uh, plants are allowed to grow together, her work showed, at least in her studies, that things actually grew far better when they weren't the only thing growing there, when all the other competition had been eliminated. And I think it's the same with the way that we consume things in the world. If we decide that we have to control everything and we have to outrun everybody else, outconsume everybody else, co-opt everything else, nothing's really going to grow as well as it could if we were all doing this together. Ethanol is a good example. Everybody knows about ethanol and fuel, right? Which is based on corn. When we all decided that ethanol was what we needed to have cleaner gas, we affected the entire food system of Latin America because corn is the number one thing in their diet. And we started buying all the corn because we wanted it for fuel. And it drove up the price and the availability, scarcity for corn because we suddenly decided that we wanted to have all the corn. I don't know if anybody ever thought about that or not, but the things that we do when we try to co-opt the process affect the entire web of all of us. Separation and trying to force the upper hand are, are not the ways that are going to lead to life for all of us. And there's a biblical word for separation that also starts with S. It's a three-letter word, sin. Sin is when we find ourselves separated from God, separated from one another, separated from the rest of creation. And in the Hebrew understanding, which is the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, life and death are not a black and white concept. We think about death as when someone stops breathing, if you're a human, right? In the Hebrew scripture, Life and death are on a continuum. It starts all the way over here with life, and maybe you don't feel well, and maybe you feel worse, and maybe you feel like you're really declining. But long before you draw your last breath as a human, you can feel very dead. And that understanding is about separation. And if we see that life and death are not just black and white, and we see that it is a continuum, which is what the Old Testament would tell us. 
we're on this continuum of sin expanding and creating less of life for everyone. And so that's one of the things to think about when we think about God's creation and our place in it, and how we not only consume, but how we tend what we've been given to tend in this season of our own lives. Because the trees are God's way of communicating. Every time. Certainly not just trees. No, that's right. But that's not only trees, but across scripture, trees are one of the really important ways of God communicating. And if that if they are that important to God, then they are, of course, need to be important to us. When we look at the rest of scripture, we're going to see lots of other trees beyond the ones that we do now. But as we look at the end of the creation story in Genesis, when Satan has successfully tempted Adam and Eve, both Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan and the serpent. What happens? What do they decide to do when they realize that they've eaten from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from? What happens next in Genesis? Anybody remember? I don't feel so Huh? They feel guilty. They feel guilty. And what do they do? I hide. They hide. Yeah. And why are they hiding? Because they realize they're naked. Because they realize they're naked. And what do they do when they realize they're naked? They close out of fig leaves or some kind of leaves. Fig leaves, that's right. <laughs> why on earth? Fig leaves are scratchy. <laughs> so obviously the knowledge part didn't come through so much, right? <laughs> fig leaves are scratchy. Can you imagine walking around and scratchy fig leaves? But they turn to a tree to try to solve their problem. And then, of course, ultimately, God makes, you know, different clothes for them that are not fig leaves. But as the creation story then continues, that's when we start to see not only are humans hiding and making these crazy clothes out of fig leaves, but now God's going to say that there's going to be thorns and there's going to be thistles and there's going to be things that weren't going to be there before, which, of course, exist in real life. But they're also imagery for showing us that, that life is going to get a lot more difficult, right? And the tree of life is no longer going to be accessible in the creation story, is what we hear, right? Adam and Eve are told that they can't stay in the garden, but they're not kicked off the planet. They're just not going to be in the garden, right? So important imagery to just keep in mind is that although... The fall is a very real thing in terms of the story. Um, there's grace in that story anyway, which is that God said, well, I'm not going to do more angry things, but, you know, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some consequences. Luckily, that story in the trees isn't the last story in Scripture because it would be a really bad short story for all of us. So there are other places that we won't be de delving into deeply but that I do want to just mention, and they're, they're on the handout that I have, just a couple of examples of Proverbs talking about how the wisdom of Scripture is a tree of life. So we'll see echoes of the tree of life in other places, not only when we get to the cross and beyond, but that the Bible's wisdom is a tree of life. Thinking about the tree of life and how it functions in Genesis how might we say that the wisdom of scripture functions like the tree of life for us? What do we get from scripture that would be equivalent to what the tree of life was about in the Garden of Eden? Knowledge. Knowledge. Comfort. 
Anybody else? Not sure which direction you're going, but obviously we get oxygen, mm -hmm. we get comfort from hot weather, yep. we get wind breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very beneficial when it's cold. Yes. A uh, bunch of things. Yeah. And you know, scripture is oxygen. Do you ever have a time in your life where something is bothering you so much you feel like you can't breathe? Have you ever thought about God's word as being the equivalent of oxygen? Have you ever find that passage in scripture, the one that makes you feel better when you're having a tough time? Like for me, it's Romans 8. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you don't have a passage of scripture that functions like oxygen for you, Maybe this would be a time this week to think about that. Is there a passage in scripture that I can go to that feels like I can breathe even when I'm facing something difficult or that it's a comfort, right? <clears throat> there are passages in scripture when people feel like uh, God is protecting them from the storm, like the windbreak that Dennis was talking about. There are other passages that are going to remind us which way to grow and which way not to, and hopefully not get pruned very often, but sometimes that, right? Sometimes we'll hear scripture come to us with a word that feels like we just got pruned. That's gonna happen this Sunday in the gospel, by the way. Parable of the dishonest manager. The parable of the dishonest manager is one that just will get you wound up to knots trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to take from this? Sometimes, it's a word of pruning. That's a part of Bible's wisdom too. But Proverbs will tell us, happy are those who hold wisdom tightly. Wisdom is also another word in scripture for Christ. The very first Psalm says that those who pursue the wisdom of scripture become like fruit bearing trees. Growing leaves that never wither. Have you ever imagined yourself as a tree? Chuck's like, no. <laughs> and if so, what kind of tree would you be, Chuck? Oh, man. <laughs> Go over on that one. Go over on that? <laughs> Probably. So, so just for a... Easter is it in scripture or is it just in a, uh, yep. in a song that it says... Like a tree that is planted by the water, I shall not be moved. Yes, that's right. That's right. So just for fun, I'm, now that Chuck has identified that he would go oak on what kind of tree I am, yeah. it would be a little light here. Oh, Eastern white pine. Eastern white pine. Oh, I could go sugar maple. Sugar maple, you can sell you on that one. Anybody else? Weeping willow. Weeping willow. How about you, Phyllis? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, what kind of tree? I like yolks too. You like yolks? They're pretty good. Yeah. Well, there's over uh, more than a hundred different species of oak. Okay. Uh, <laughs> red oak. There you go, Bob. I like red. Claim the red oak. I, I like the red too. Bill, how about you? Dogwood. Dogwood. Red bud. Red bud. That's a sumptuous. How about you, Ken? Pine. A pine. Would you be a white pine? 
You've got your choice when you talk pines. I know. Because there are many, many varieties. I know. Uh, I just like pine trees. I, mm -hmm. and, and it would depend on where I was walking, <laughs> which pine tree I was closest to. There you go. You were a tree, you wouldn't be walking. <laughs> well, no, you know, in scripture, there is one place where trees walk. And Dr. Who, too. <laughs> well, there is. But when Jesus heals the man who's blind, there's a couple different stories of that. And he puts the mud on the, the man's eyes and he asks him to wash and says, what do you see? And he says, I see trees walking. And Jesus does it a second time. <laughs> Not quite sure there, but trees walk there. Diane, what kind of tree would you be? I'd be a dogwood because not only are they pretty, mm -hmm. but it's a very strong wood. Yes. We make golf clubs out of it. Yeah. The wood. How about you, Carla? Well, right now, because it's fall, I'm going to be an apple tree because I like to eat them. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Dennis, I think you said you wanted to be an oak, right? No, but that would be good. I think maybe a chestnut. Oh, okay. Chestnut. Beautiful wood. Yes. Well, it depends how you saw it. Okay. How about you guys? I like pines. Pine? I'm going to go with the sugar maple because I like maple syrup. Oh, yeah. 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 I think I would want to be a redwood. I'm going to go with Brazilian cherry because that's the one we always like. Brazilian cherry. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Last call. Lisa, did you think of a tree you really want to be? No? Nope? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, you know, I was listening as we talked about what kind of tree we would want to be and why, right? And there are a number of different things that I heard, but a lot of it had to do with a, a quality that really appeals to us or that, that gives us something like maple syrup, right? or this is the wood that we like to have in our house. And, you know, trees, I think, are, are one of the ways that God ensures that we see beauty in the world. And now I might be a little biased because I've already told you I really love trees. But trees are the way that we, one of the ways that we get to see beauty in the world between the change of the seasons, all the different kinds of things that trees um, fruit and bear. We lived in Lancaster County at a house that we bought it and it had 13 different kinds of trees. And I was so excited by that when we bought it. And every tree dropped something at a different time. And I think it's a miracle that we're still married because Michael was like, who had to have the property with 13 kinds of trees? What was the one that was the, was it the Linden that had the most stuff to deal with? Was that the one that sheds the bark too? No, that was the sycamore that had the yeah. leaves and the propellers and the burrs and the bark. <laughs> you can tell it still has a little PTSD from that <laughs> So now for those of you who have already identified that palms are not trees, they're grass. Psalm 92 <laughs> says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. So whenever you see a tree, a branch, a bush, a root, or a fruit in scripture, 
look for God, not just because scripture is God's word, but oftentimes when you see one of those things in the passage of scripture, chances are pretty good that it's going to be the Bible preparing to tell you something about God. And I have to include Bush because otherwise we can't get Moses in the burning bush. (laughs) So next week we're going to talk about the Genesis story of the flood and the ark. And we're also going to talk about the shoot on the stump of Jesse. And we're going to hear about the origin of family trees in genealogy because it is related to scripture. And if you don't know that already, you will next week. And if you know it now already, like my spouse may, don't ruin it for everyone else. <laughs> but and if you want to Google ahead of time, you can, you can see about that. But I'm hoping that next week, if you have a favorite passage of scripture that includes trees, whole or in part, <laughs> I'm asking you to bring it so you can share it with us. What is a passage involving trees in scripture? It can be the whole tree. It can be a branch. It can be the root. It can be the fruit. But I thought it would be interesting to hear some of those passages that maybe you all have in mind because chances are pretty good that we're probably going to think of different ones. In the meantime, I have a closing prayer for us from one of my books. Uh, This is from Wing Over Wing by Julie Cadwallader Staub. Let us pray. Lord, let us learn the language of trees, the patient and probing register of roots in summer, a thousand words for thirst, for texture, for search. Let us learn the cadence that carries wordless sustenance, from tendril beneath to trunk, to limb, to leaf. Let us learn the long and laughing language of leaves, a thousand words for wind and light, the sound of raindrops through the night. Let us learn the language of trees, the better to pray, the better to praise. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us for our first adventure with trees. It's a relief to see all of you here.